Good morning. You guys well today? Perfect. Good. Good. Um, well, we are. We finally made it to our last spiritual discipline of the summer. Today, we are beginning our two weeks on confession. Are you guys excited? Yeah, everybody's favorite thing to talk about. I said earlier, we're just going to have an open mic to reveal sins at the end of the service, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Who wants to go first? I'm just kidding. That's not happening. Um, Today, just as a heads up, we are going to be using physical light and darkness as an illustration. So the lights are going to go out at some point during the service today. We're not going to have strobe lights. There's not going to be flashing lights or anything like that. Nothing to worry about. But I didn't want you to think that the power went off or something like that when the lights go out. Be prepared. It's going to get dark in the room for a point, and then it will get light again, I promise. Sound good? All right, we're going to be doing that as an illustration later today. We're going to be in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. If you got your Bible, open up there. While you're turning there, here's kind of the background of the book of 1 John. It was written, most scholars believe, by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. And it was written to some small churches that a, a lot of people think there was some sort of split or heresy that was going on in this church. In other words, there was a false teaching. And people te- seem to believe that the false teaching was something like Jesus isn't really king. It was what would eventually become, it was, it was the early beliefs that would eventually become what's known as Gnosticism, which is basically the idea that the physical world doesn't really matter, only what's spiritual matters. So this idea was making its way into the church that it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you know the right things, as long as you believe the right things. Jesus isn't really king of your life. He's not really lord of your life. Obedience doesn't really matter. It's just about certain knowledge, information, and salvation. So John is writing this letter to deal with that issue, and that becomes a consistent theme throughout the book of John, is basically that, no, our actions do matter. The the forgiveness of Jesus is just as much part of who he is as his lordship. And walking in his way means walking under his lordship as well as his forgiveness. Make sense? So that's kind of the background of the book of 1 John. That's what John is trying to deal with while he's writing this book. So we're going to read from 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 5 through 10. So it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, We make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your people that we get to gather today and worship with. We thank you for your presence that marks this room that we have already felt. And God, we ask that your name is the only name that would matter to us today, that what's from me would be forgotten. They would be noticed so it can be rejected. But what's from you would land deeply in our hearts so that we would become more like you through the ministry of your Holy Spirit and your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen. 
nobody's afraid of the dark until it's dark. Right? Nobody likes to admit that they're afraid of the dark, but here's the thing. I think almost every person is afraid of the dark because in the dark, your imagination goes crazy. You know what's there. You know what's true, or at least you used to know what's there, and you used to know what's true. My hobbies, um, I I like to camp and hike and hunt. I, I spend a lot of time out in the woods by myself after sunset and before sunrise. And what I can tell you is that it does not matter how many times you have been in the same exact place. It does not matter how many times you have walked the trail or stood on that ridge. It does not matter how confident you are, what animals live in the area, or how passionately you do not believe in Bigfoot. When it's dark and you're alone, you believe in Bigfoot a little bit. Because your imagination goes crazy in the dark. You start imagining what your mind can't see. You start to imagine the difference between reality and what you can perceive in the moment. I mean, think about it like this. Now, we've got a little bit of light left in this room, but we were all sitting in this room for at least 30 minutes, 20 or 30 minutes. Some of us have sat in this room maybe hundreds of times. Some of us might be our first time, but we all know what this room looks like. But if there were no light coming from that TV in the back... Are you confident that you could find your way to the door without a light? Without tripping over somebody? Or stubbing your toe on a chair? Because you know what the room looks like. You know where the chairs are. But who knows what could have changed in the dark? You see, that's why when you're a kid, or even when you're an adult, when you go to bed at night, you know that that's just a teddy bear or a snake plant or whatever is in your room. You know what that little shadow or movement on the wall is, but when you wake up in the middle of the night, you're not as confident what was there anymore, are you? It takes you a minute. Because in the dark, you don't know what's there, and you don't know what has changed. The dark is naturally disconcerting to us. There have been some studies that have been done about the way humans interact with paintings that are of night and dark and the innate discomfort that we feel when we see things like that. Because we know from long history that in the dark, we don't really feel safe. We might know everything that's there, but we also know that we only know what used to be there. We can't see what's actually there now. And our imagination starts to fill in the gaps. Sometimes our imagination causes us to believe that everything's fine when maybe it's not. More often, our imagination as a survival mechanism starts to tell us all of the things that could have gone wrong since the lights went out. Starts to blow every potential reality out of proportion. And our fears become outsized in the dark as they move from what they actually are to anything they possibly could be, to any possible end or outcome. John uses this motif, this analogy of light and darkness, to talk about what it means to walk with Jesus or to walk without Jesus. He describes sin 
as living in darkness, but living in obedience to the lordship of Jesus as walking in the light. So it might be pretty obvious that confession is like turning a light on. You want to know how I got these scars? (laughs) When you imagine it like that, though, it seems obvious. Why would anybody live in the dark when you could walk in the light? It seems obvious that things are more dangerous in the dark. So if this is the analogy that John is using, why is it so easy and so common for us to embrace darkness, for us to live without confession, for us to live with secrets? And there's a reason for that. It's because the dark is disconcerting because of what hides there. So you only don't like the dark if you don't have anything to hide. In fact, the creatures that survive in the dark, that thrive in the dark in the animal world, are all animals that thrive in hiding and in sneaking. And Satan, our enemy as followers of Jesus, whose name literally means the, the accuser and who is called the father of lies, his primary tactic, one of his most consistent attacks on your life is going to be to convince you that whatever the truth is about your sin or struggle, it's worse than what you currently know. He wants to convince you That if people found out the truth, that that would be infinitely worse than living in the dark. He plays on our outsized imagination. Satan is incredible at taking what might be a reasonable question or normal doubt and turning it into something that would spiral our faith or remove us from community. He is incredible at telling us that a normal struggle or sin is not common to every person, like the Bible says, but it's unique to you. He is incredible at saying, no one else struggles like you do, so if you admit it, if you acknowledge it, then what are they going to think? What are they going to say? His goal is to keep us in the dark. And he uses our outsized imagination to convince us that if we come into the light, that whatever we're going to find there is worse than the fear of not knowing. Sometimes he can even convince us, if you were to admit it to yourself, if you were to admit, don't admit that the drinking is a problem. It's just a hobby. Because if you admit it to yourself, then you're not in control anymore. Don't admit that you might need help. Because if you admit that you need help, then that means you need help. Keep it in the dark. When we keep things in the dark, we maintain control of the story, or at least an an assumption of control. Because we might not be able to see the full truth of our lives, but neither can anybody else. So here's how a lot of Christians tend to live, um, in my experience. We know that Jesus is the light. We know we're supposed to be following Jesus. So this is what we imagine. I'm trying not to shine this in anybody's eyes. We imagine this like this. If I can just, if I can stay in the dark, but if I can focus on Jesus, if I can find something, if I can look at Jesus, Jesus is the light. I don't have to bring myself into the light. I can just pursue Jesus, and that's all I need. Jesus is where I'm going 
So I don't really have to live in the light, in confession and authenticity and vulnerability because I know where I'm headed. But the problem is with having your eyes only on Jesus, though we certainly need to be focused on Jesus, is that I might be able to see where I'm going, but that doesn't tell me what the obstacles are in between me and getting there. It's wonderful to know where you are going, but it's impossible to get there if you don't know where you're at. Now, most of us who follow Jesus, and honestly, most of us who are humans know that to be a decent person, you kind of have to admit that you have some flaws. So none of us are really perfect. So here's how we go about confession. We will shine a light on part of our lives. Yeah, man, sometimes I struggle with pride. You know, when I was in high school, I really struggled with lust. I mean, sometimes I overreact. And we imagine that confession is shining a light on something. But that's not what John invites us into. He doesn't invite us to shine a light on a portion of our lives. He invites us to walk in the light. Brian, you can turn the lights on. Ooh, there you are. Confession is the process by which we as followers of Jesus walk in the light. Confession is the process by which we not only know where we are going, but we are able to be honest with ourselves, one another, and God about where we are so that we can get there. I wanted us to sit in the dark for a while because confession gets talked about in church a lot. People will say, well, confess your sins. And generally what they mean is admit you struggle with stuff. Admit, admit, admit you used to lust. Admit that you have a past. But John tells us that walking in darkness, that the path to walking in the light is confession. And he says, without living in confession, without walking in the way of Jesus, we're walking in darkness. And that's not something that we consider very often. So sometimes we need to sit in the dark and imagine what a life without confession looks like. How easy it would be to, I don't know, get tripped up or stub a toe or hurt yourself or hurt other people through lack of awareness. Because we only know where we're going, but we don't know where we are or how to get there. So John invites us into a life of confession. Interestingly enough, um, over the years of doing ministry so far, uh, a lot of times we imagine that it's really hard to get someone to admit that they have a struggle or to admit that they have a sin. We imagine that like the hardest thing to do is to get someone to admit that, I don't know, they struggle with pornography or they struggle with pride or they have some unforgiveness in their life, something like that. What I've noticed is over the years that it's not really that hard to get someone to admit that they have an action that's incorrect. It's not really that difficult to get someone to admit that they have sinned. Because we all know that's a baseline of following Jesus, is that we have sinned. This is what I've found is really difficult and extremely rare. It's easy to get someone to say, yeah, I struggle with lust sometimes. It's really hard to then make the jump to saying, I struggle with lust because I'm lonely. And I don't really feel like anybody knows me. And I've I've believed I was going to be alone since I was in high school, and this is how I cope. See, that's the difference between living in the light 
and just flashing a light on something real quick. Do you see the difference? It's not terribly hard for us to say, yeah, I've got a lot of anger in my life. It is wildly uncomfortable to say, I've been angry for years, and I don't know what caused it, and I don't feel like I can control it. It just takes me over sometimes. But that's walking in the light. Because the thing about the dark is, the things are there, whether you know it or not. The danger or safety is there, whether you know it or not. You know, if you hang out with people in the medical field, they'll talk about hand-on-the-doorknob conversations in the doctor's office, where someone comes in and they're like, yeah, I've got, my, my back's been hurting lately, you know, if I could get some pain meds. And the doctor knows they've got something else to talk about, and they ask questions, but the person won't admit it until finally, as they're leaving, the hand's-on-the-doorknob, and that person says, well, actually... That's the thing, the, the problem that brought the person into the doctor's office was there all along, whether it was admitted or not. See, this is the reality of, of confession. Now, this is incredibly important. I need to define this, because when we think of confession in the modern world, what we imagine is going to a person and listing our shortcomings, But what I want to tell you is that confession is the process of telling the truth about our lives. Confession is the process of telling the truth. That's why John says to confess your sins. Because he has to delineate sins, because confession is just telling the truth. Do you see the difference? Confession is telling the truth about your life so that you can find healing from where your life actually is. Confession is not just the acknowledgement that I have fallen short. It is also the acknowledgement that I am forgiven. Confession is not just the acknowledgement that I am sick. It is the acknowledgement that healing is possible. Confession is not just the acknowledgement that I live under an addiction or under some sort of destructive behavioral pattern. It is the acknowledgement that I do not have to and that the Holy Spirit invites me into a better way of living. It's the process of turning the lights on in your life so that you can see what's there. Do you see what I mean? In order for us to have a proper perspective of confession, we also have to have a proper perspective of sin. Because John says to confess your sins. James says in a different, uh, in his book, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Confessing sins is important, but we have to understand what sin is. And I've learned that most of us imagine that what sin is, is just things God doesn't want you to do. That that's our definition of sin, is that these are the things that God said not to do, and these are the things that he said to do. So don't disappoint him by breaking the rules. But that is not the intent of God in his created good world. And that is not how he defines sin. Sin is best defined as anything that keeps you from what God has from you. Sin is best defined as things that do harm. Because the things that God calls sin or missing the mark or falling short in our lives are things that actually do harm. And when God calls something sin, what he's saying is, I actually have something better for you. I have healing that's available for you. I have a life that you might not know is possible right now. So we have to understand that confessing sin is not going to God and just saying, I messed up, I'm sorry, I broke the rules. Confessing sin to the Lord is saying, I see that there is something harming me and harming the people I love through me. And I don't want that harm in my life anymore. Do you see the difference? 
It's turning the lights on so that you can see where the harm actually is. For most of us, we imagine confession as directly linked to shame and guilt. But confession has nothing to do with shame. Confession should not be the revealing of how I've fallen short. Confession should be seeing the healing and hope that's possible because I realize I don't have to live in this harm forever. Do you see the difference? Confession is meant to be a joy, the joy of turning the lights on. And listen, sometimes when we turn the lights on in our life, what we see is that things were a little worse than we thought they were. Sometimes we see that the room's a lot messier than we remember, and there's some work to do. But the thing is, the mess was there whether the lights were on or not. The harm was being done whether we admitted it to ourselves or anyone else or not. So now we can pursue healing and wholeness. But here's the thing. This is what I've noticed over just years of talking with people who don't want to confess things. What I've noticed is that most of the time when we have a secret, not all the time, but most of the time when we have something that we are afraid to confess, what has happened is in the dark, our imagination has blown that thing up to what used to be a coat rack is now a monster in our imagination. And we now imagine that this thing we struggle with, we're the only person who's ever struggled with it. And no one else will ever understand. And if we admit it, it's going to ruin our lives. And I've had people confess a lot of things to me over the years. I have never had it ruin anyone's life. And I'll tell you, there have been a couple of times where I've seen somebody confess something that really changed things in their life. But what I've seen in every person who confessed that was that the secret was doing more harm than the thing was, than living in the truth of the thing. That the change was actually a relief because keeping the secret, the fear in the dark was significantly worse than facing the thing in the light. Because what we do not confess is there no matter what. And the process of confession is turning the lights on. Now there's one more thing I need to point out and this is really, really important. Confession is a spiritual discipline. It's not a magic fix to our sins. You have to notice that John says, confess your sins to Jesus and he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and purify unrighteousness. Let me ask you a question. If I turn the lights on, does it fix my problems? If I live in a dirty house and I turn the lights on in the house, is it clean? No. Confession doesn't fix things, but it allows things to be fixed. Confession doesn't fix things in our life, but it opens the door for the Holy Spirit to begin his promised work of transformation. What we confess can be purified. What we confess can be brought into the purifying work of the Holy Spirit so that we can experience transformation. But only what we are willing to be honest about can be purified, can be transformed. The things that we keep in the dark are things that we are withholding transformation from. When we choose to live in the dark with ourselves or with God or even with others, when we choose to live in the dark, we are choosing to keep that thing harmful. We are choosing to keep that danger in our lives rather than turn the lights on so that we can find healing and wholeness. Confession is a physical act. It's something that we do. We confess our reality to the Lord. 
And the Holy Spirit meets us in the act because the act creates space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to form us internally. It's a physical act that creates space for the inner work of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Are we on the same page? The invitation of confession is an invitation to a life without secrets. Can you imagine what it would be like to live a life without secrets? Most of us can just barely imagine that. Can you imagine what it would be like as a millennial to live a life where when someone texts you and says, we need to talk, you're not worried? The invitation of confession is the invitation to not have anything living in the dark in your life that might come out to hurt you. It's not the invitation of having nothing that will cause harm, but it's the invitation of knowing what's there so that you know whether you're in danger or not and you can take steps towards safety so that you can walk towards Jesus because you know where you're at. Now, a couple of things before we close because I want to be careful to define and give boundaries around confession. Because many of us have seen confession done horribly. We've had someone break trust in confession. And that has made us afraid to ever admit anything. And that is, that is fair and justified. That is a reasonable fear. Um, some of us have seen um, accountability and confession just done really horribly, where it was just legalism and just like making one another feel bad for their mistakes within the church. So we need to clearly define confession. The first thing I want to say in defining confession is that confession requires curiosity. Confession is not just, I did that thing, but confession is, I did that thing and I wonder why. I want to see my whole life to the best of my ability. So confession sometimes requires pastoral help. Confession often is deeply assisted by counseling, by going to a Christian counselor who can help you understand and imagine the why in your life, not just the what in your life. But confession requires curiosity because the goal of confession is to turn the lights on, not just to shine a light briefly on a thing that we did, but to live in the light where we are aware and pursuing understanding of our situation in our lives. So confession requires curiosity. Second is confession requires trust. Confession requires trust in God, because oftentimes Francis Schaeffer said that confession is the willingness to call my sin, sin. So confession requires looking at my life and saying, yeah, that thing that I don't really want to be wrong, I have to trust that when God says it's doing harm, it actually is doing harm that I have to be careful to call that sin sin and not call it softer things like struggle or issue or all of those things that we use to kind of like soft sell ourselves on the harm in our lives. When we call something sin, we're saying that we have planted a harm garden and it's bearing fruit in our lives. That's what sin is. Is it something that is bearing harmful fruit in our lives? So we have to trust that what God says is sin actually is. Not trusting that he's mad at us, but trusting that that thing is hurting us and he wants something that's better for us. The other thing, though, is confession requires trust of other people. Hear me say this. Everybody doesn't deserve your story. One more time. Everybody doesn't deserve your story. Your sins do not need to go on social media. Everybody that you know, every Christian that you know, every good Christian friend you have does not need to know all of your struggles or sins. 
but you need someone who knows. Pastor, close friend, fold group leader, counselor. You need someone that you can bring that thing into the light with. Someone that can help you look at that thing and say, here's what it looks like is going on. Let's pursue healing together. So not everybody deserves your story, but everybody needs somebody who knows everything about our lives. Make sense? Here's the last thing. Confession, that we should confess when appropriate in the place and position that wrong was done if we're confessing sins. So if I am rude to Tyler, then I shouldn't confess to Jay that I was rude to Tyler. Make sense? I should confess to Tyler that I was rude to him. Now, there are some instances where that might not be appropriate. That's why I say when appropriate. If I have done something that that person knows was harmful to them, then I should acknowledge that to that person, right? Because that is the way that we live in the light, that we have light between us, that I'm not allowing darkness in between a relationship. Does that make sense? So confession should be done when we're confessing sin at the level that it was done. If someone in a very public sphere does something that's harmful to that public sphere, they should confess in that sphere. Does that make sense? We're on the same page there? Because it's walking in the light. Requires curiosity. It requires trust. And it requires knowing where the harm was done so that you can confess in the appropriate place. And in doing so, you turn the lights on so that the Holy Spirit can begin the process of bringing healing and wholeness into your life. The invitation of confession is not an invitation to list your sins out of fear or shame. It is an invitation to see what beauty is not yet in your life. It is an invitation to acknowledge that the sickness could be healed, that the harm doesn't have to last, that healing and wholeness are possible and you can walk towards them in this life. That's the invitation of confession. Confession is a joyful thing because it is acknowledging that this pain doesn't have to rule me forever, that I can live in healing. This harm does not have the final say in my life. I am not enslaved to sin. The Holy Spirit is inviting me into healing and wholeness. Apparently it's getting dark again. I guess, guess, guess the illustration didn't work the first time. Now, I think the, probably the best way we could respond to an idea like this and there are obvious things. We could find a trusted friend or somebody on the ministry team or pursue counseling and, and pursue confession in that way. But if there's one thing that I could recommend that everybody do, because if I were sitting in the seat and someone else were giving this sermon, I would probably have a thing that's in my mind that I'm like, oh no, I've got to talk about that thing. I would have like that secret or sin or whatever that I'm worried about. Here's the first invitation in response to this. Be curious about it. Don't just say, I did this thing wrong. Ask why. Ask yourself why. Choose to be curious. It's horrifying because it's a release of control. It's easier to admit I did something wrong than it is to admit I'm broken and afraid. But choose curiosity and let that fuel confession to another, a trusted person, then confession to the Lord, and tell the whole truth 
to the best of your ability. When you confess that to the Lord, confess the whole truth of your current situation, but also tell the truth about how you are deeply loved and fully forgiven and invited into holiness. Because if the only thing you confess is I sinned, then you haven't confessed the whole truth because the whole truth is that sin was dealt with on the cross and you are invited into healing and you are still loved. The whole truth is that Jesus knew that sin was coming 2,000 years ago and died anyway. He died offering forgiveness to that sin before it happened, knowing it was coming. That's wild. That's the whole truth that we confess. Not just the wrong, but God's posture to the wrong, which is forgiveness and love and mercy and an invitation to the life we were created for. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you invite us into forgiveness, that you offer us mercy. Jesus, we thank you that you love us enough that you do not desire to leave us in our sin and our harm and our shame and our pain, but you invite us into healing and to wholeness. God, I ask that we would be a community that lives in confession, that we would be a community of people who are not holding our sins over one another's head or judging one another based on their shortcomings, but we are a community that would, as individuals, and as a church, that we would say we want every ounce of healing that's possible so we will admit anything that's keeping us from that healing. Let us embrace the healing you're inviting us into and let that motivate us to confess and acknowledge anything preventing it, that we would be people who live in the light as you are in the light. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.